Well, when a person wants to fix someone, maybe they want to rescue him or her. But here's the bottom line. When people have an issue with codependency, uh, it's almost like they, it's like a habit. Whenever something goes haywire in a relationship, they're the first to start to fix everything, to be the peacemaker, to make sure everybody is okay. You know, that's a lot of weight. That's a lot of pressure on one person. So it's usually not a good idea to do that because it makes the relationship unequally yoked or one-sided. And then, you know, sometimes we may start to feel resentful, okay, frustrated, maybe even sad because the other person doesn't seem to be uh, totally engaged in the relationship with us. So watch out for fixing everything in the relationship because it actually encourages or I'm going to go ahead and say uh, a better word for that is that he or she usually um, not just encourage, enabling. Bam, that's it. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for, enabling. Sometimes we can end up enabling the other person, which will encourage them to not change, okay? Not saying that they have to change for everyone, but I think you all get the idea. When one person does everything in the relationship, it really encourages the other person to kick back and just enjoy all the goodies, okay? So watch out for rescuing and watch out for fixing everything.
what some narcissists and cluster B personality types do is that they will mimic other people. So sometimes they may hijack the identity of others. What do I mean by that? Well, they will copy. They're like a copycat. So they'll sit back and they'll study you first. Then they learn your, you know, they learn your gestures. They learn what you are more emotional about, what you're less emotional about, how you react to things, what makes you reactionary, what makes you angry, frustrated. And they study that. Then they start to mimic. But what they really zero in on are your positive traits. Because narcissists and some cluster B personality types, they do not emotionally regulate very well. So they have to pretend when they are around other people that they want to pull in for narcissistic supply. Because they feel, you know, they figure they already have you, right? They already conquered you. I hate to put it like that, but this is usually how narcissists and subcluster people personality they, they look at it. It's like, okay, I've conquered that person, I've reeled them in, okay, got them, got them in the bag, right? Now, they zero in on somebody else. Now, they may deem them as primary source supply. They may deem them as a secondary source supply. But the bottom line is they're trying to get, they're targeting in on someone for the narcissist supply. So what's the best way they can do it? They may behave like you. They may pretend to be you. Okay, so they have mimicked your positive traits, joy, gratitude, Okay, all these other type of high vibrational frequency emotions. They they don't have you know they don't know how to feel that authentically, so they have to pretend. And unfortunately, it works. They usually pull other people in, and they ensnare them. Okay, and there you go. They have more narcissistic supply. So the identity crisis is when you co-sign for dysfunctional roles. You start playing these dysfunctional roles, such as being a scapegoat, a psychological trap shoot, okay, an emotional punching bag. Is loss of voice, okay, or not really confident in knowing how to use your voice, but keeping secrets that harm you and others is another way to enable your narcissist or cluster personality type. Okay, because again, this is another way that they blame you and everybody else for what they do. They're looking for the fuel. They're looking for the uh, excuses. They're looking for the control. So this is, this is a great way to keep you silent in the relationship when they're emotionally bullying you to keep their deep, dark, dirty secrets. Because that's part of the covert narcissism. They emotionally bully you to keep those secrets, okay? And then you're afraid to speak up because they may also gaslight you. They may have you doubting your abilities to not only use your voice, but to use your own mind, critical thinking. And if you feel something, you know, I want to say something about the emotions. When you start to express emotions, they often will exploit your capacity to do so. This is another way to keep you in the sunken place, which also can lose, it can have you lose your confidence in using your voice. When somebody is repeatedly put down, when somebody is repeatedly um, let down, this weighs on the spirit. And they may, they may lose hope. They may feel like, why say anything at all? Poor sense of self. 
okay? So what does that look like? All right. Difficulty with separateness. So you don't know, again, we're talking about the level, we're talking about a level of enmeshment. So you don't know where they end and you begin. You know, here we have the trauma bonds. Now, if we're talking about a narcissistic family setting or a families who have clustery personality types who are running the family or they have a lot of influence in that family, such as parents and or grandparents, because when we look at the other family members within a narcissistic family, whether or not they have clustery personality types, they don't have a lot of influence in your life as a child, such as your aunts, your uncles, your cousins. Even your siblings may not have that much. Really, they don't because they're not keeping the lights on. They're not keeping the food on the table. Okay? Unless it's a situation whereas they have to go out and try to get some money because mama and, and daddy, they're not pulling their weight. Okay? But anyway, the trauma bond can be very difficult to get past because within a narcissistic um, family setting, if you have a cluster B personality type grandparents or, or parents, they have a lot of influence over your life. Spiritually, you can detach or spiritual, all right? Choosing to connect to self rather than connecting to the circumstances. Now, that's a tough one, but it can be done. Practice, 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 okay? Spiritually, some of us, we are choosing unconsciously to attach or to connect to the situation instead of staying in our bodies, staying present. Especially when something is very uncomfortable, we want to escape. All right. These are the tools. Tool number one. Discontinue co-signing dysfunctional roles. Okay, so this is not going to be very easy, but it can be done. Again, driving forward starts in the mind, not in the behind. Okay? So, uh, going no contact also starts within the mind, not in the heart. So, discontinue co-signing dysfunctional relationships because those dysfunctional roles will keep you in the sunken place. You don't have to continue to be a psychological trap shoot. You don't have to continue to, be, to play that role of scapegoat. You were not chosen. You were tagged. You were targeted to become a scapegoat within your family, if that's your, your situation. Okay, so you don't have to continue to co-sign that. And it starts in the mind. Okay, you have to start thinking about what's really going on in the relationship. Because a lot of adults of narcissists, they continue to play these dysfunctional roles, sometimes unconsciously. And then it spills over to the rest of their life. Their other relationships, they go to work. They may be that person 
who everybody dumps the, the, the pile of tasks and work on. The workload gets passed on to you. You, you don't get that promotion, yet you know you've earned the promotion. See, these are the, this is another way we play those dysfunctional roles, from our personal life to our professional life. So in every relationship, we tend to play the same dysfunctional role. Okay, and it's due to habit. We are creatures of habit. We gravitate towards what is very familiar to us, even if it's toxic, even if it's dysfunctional. So watch out for, um, you know, playing those dysfunctional roles everywhere you go in every relationship you have, because codependency does this to us. It influences us to repeat negative or toxic to dysfunctional patterns, which is gonna keep us in the sunken place, okay? So tool number two, learn to release energy that does not elevate you. Okay, so here's a question, here's a critical question. Does the relationship with your narcissist really elevate you? Does it help you get to the next level? I don't care what it is you wanna do. Does it help you? Does that relationship nourish you? Does it have you looking at yourself like you can do anything? Does it have you feel does it help you to feel like you can do anything? Or is it the opposite? Does this relationship help you to fill your cup or does it empty your cup? Okay, so tool number three, practice personal boundaries and mindfulness. Hey guys, how's it going? I hope you're doing well wherever you are. I just finished walking around at a local high school. And so I'm just getting ready to go and anyway, enjoy the rest of my Sunday. <laughs> so I just thought I would make a quick video before I uh, go off and do that. Oh, sorry guys. I'm just... <clears throat> mm. Anyway... Got to get in that water, right? I want to talk about, uh, today I want to talk about fear and how some of us who have been diagnosed with uh, PTSD, we are walking around with a little extra dosage of fear. Now, there's a lot of people walking around with anxiety issues. Uh, some people are on prescription medication for anxiety. This is the world we live in today where certain societies they have a population who deals with um, anxiety more than certain other populations or other societies. We live here in a society where really it's like fear is bombarding us everywhere we go. 
There's just everything that's suggesting that we ought to be in a state of fear. Okay, those of us with PTSD, this is not helping. <laughs> this is definitely not helping. But I want to talk about fear today and how I'm just going to share with you guys some of the things that has helped me to deal with uh, anxiety. So, um, I'm not actually having to take prescription medication for anxiety. Uh, you know, I'm just... I'm not having to do that, thank goodness. But for those of you who are on prescription medication, my heart goes out to you. I have nothing but compassion for you. Now, I know a few people who are on prescription medication for anxiety. And, you know, I'm hearing from some of them that they wish they didn't have to take it, but this is something that helps them. And I'm certainly not suggesting in this video that you stop taking your prescription medication because if it helps it helps I'm going to go ahead however and share with you guys some of the natural ways that I have incorporated uh, just methods that help me deal with um, panic attacks anxiety now I have had panic attacks so bad or so badly that I actually had the ambulance come out to my home and this has happened to me several times this has been the issue with me several times so I am definitely not a person I'm not talking to you as a person who just read some books and who has read it on the internet somewhere what anxiety is about no I've been there guys and I started going into just uh, meditating and I would sometimes pray and I would just go ahead and take some time out and get quiet. What do I mean by that? Okay, just like the rest of you, I have things that I have to do throughout the week. School, work, whatever. You know, there's appointments, anything you can think of. Yes, I'm with you guys. I have responsibilities as well. Here's the thing. When I'm going through all of that, that causes more stress. And of course, that's going to raise my anxiety levels. Now, let's go ahead and add to that. If I'm constantly walking around, and I, I've been here, guys, where I'm constantly walking around concerned about, there's, you know, is there something wrong with me? There's something wrong. You know, and I had that feeling of there's something wrong, but I don't quite know what it is. That's what anxiety is. You know, you're walking around. You don't... Have, you don't necessarily have the evidence or the facts that something is wrong and threatening your life. The, the hardcore evidence is not there. However, it's a feeling. So therefore, it's going to work on your mind. So I just want to talk about some of the things that I have done and I still do to help with anxiety. Number one, taking the time out. I vowed to myself and I committed to myself and I'm dedicated to taking some time out. I don't care guys if it's just five minutes. I will take that time out to just get silent, to enjoy that solitude and just have a pep talk. You know, I say everything is great. Just counting everything in my life that I'm grateful for. Just taking that time out. Just committing to myself, vowing to myself, being dedicated to take the time out for solitude. I don't care if it's just five minutes a day. 
makes a big difference. Number two, being very conscious about what I am putting into my mouth and what I am feeding my mind with. Okay, that's number two, just being very conscious about what I'm taking in. That can be from the books that I read, the movies that I may choose to look at. I personally, I love film. I don't watch television. I don't watch a lot of television. That's just me. I, I prefer films. I love films. I like to read. I have a lot of books in my home. I think I got that from my father. He always had such an impressive library. You know, I, I still miss him. It's been two years since he's passed. Uh, you know, and I miss him, but he's always encouraged me to research, read, and study, and question. Don't just take information at face value. I love you, Dad. Rest in peace. So that's number two. Just being very conscious to what I am taking in, what I choose to take in, from the food that I eat, the water that I drink, to Everything that I'm taking into my mind, such as through books, media, you know, and just even in conversation with other people, are they cursing a lot? Are they taking things out on me? Are they calling me all kind of bitches, hoes, niggas, and all this? Okay, is that coming my way? No, thank you. Get out of here with that. I choose not to receive that. So it is my choice. So I have, I'm, that's number two, just being very conscious to what I take in. Number three, getting out into nature. Big, big one, guys. You would be amazed how incredibly therapeutic it is just to go out into nature. Take a walk. Go out to the park somewhere. Go to the beach. Go camping. You know, just get out there <laughs> and, and get quiet. It puts a lot of things into perspective. I know for me, regardless of what my challenges may be, when I go out into nature, guys, it puts, it places things into perspective for me. I am a little bit more focused and I can see a little bit more clearly things that maybe I haven't seen before concerning certain issues. Okay, so that's number three, getting out into nature. Number four is making sure that you get plenty of... Now, okay, I know before I say this, <laughs> some people are going to say, well, that's a little bit more difficult. And number four is getting enough rest. Now, I started to say getting enough sleep, but I caught myself. Getting enough rest. Now, there's the difference. When I'm ready to relax, sleep will happen, almost like a surprise. So what I've started doing, guys, and I've, I've been doing this for a little while, and it's been very effective for me, and I hope it will be for you. Instead of when I'm getting ready to, uh, say, go to bed, or I know the next day I have to go to work, I have to be at school, or whatever, right? The next day, I know I, I have to get up, all right? When I'm getting ready to go to bed, Instead of putting in my mind or saying something like, even in conversation, I may be on, a, on the phone with a girlfriend or, a, you know, my man friend or whatever. And I may say something like, well, I'm getting ready uh, to get some sleep. And instead, I am getting ready to relax. I can take a nice hot bath. 
I can drink some warm milk. <laughs> I know some of you guys are probably like, warm milk? <laughs> you better get some bubbly, right? Anyway, by the way, drinking alcohol is one of the worst things you can do before you go to sleep. Anyway, just a side note. <laughs> yes, anything to do to put me in a relaxed state is what I do. Instead of telling myself or putting it in my mind, oh, I have to get some sleep. No, sleep will happen. It will happen just as long as I'm not obsessed with it. Oh, I have to get some sleep. In other words, putting my state, putting myself in a state of anxiety because my, my brain will say, oh, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. See how that works? It's like you're telling yourself, I have to do this because I, I, I have to get up in the morning. I have to be somewhere. I have to perform, whether that's at school, work, or whatever projects you all may be working on or I may be working on. The bottom line is there's responsibilities, whereas I must perform the next day. That can cause some uh, stress and anxiety. If I vow to myself and, and put it in my mind, I'm getting ready to relax now, sleep will happen almost like a surprise. So, and this has been very effective for me. Instead of telling myself, oh, I have to get some sleep or I'm about to get some sleep or whatever, you know, just get in a state of relaxation. So those are my steps, guys. I hope those work for you and I welcome you to try those. Um, but when we're walking around in a state of fear, it can definitely have some uh, adverse effects on our health. And those of us who have been diagnosed with PTSD, we don't need that. We definitely don't need the added stress. Or we don't need the added stress. We don't need the added anxiety. There's one more step. Almost forgot. I'm surprised I didn't make this one number one. The fifth step is be mindful of the relationships you're having. That's a big one as well. So five steps. The last one is, the fifth step is be mindful of the relationships you're having. Who are you giving place to in your life? I'm not talking about, you know, you have, you know, when you go to work, when you go to school, see that's outside. That's outside of your world. I'm talking about in your, your world. Who are you giving place to and why? Take, I mean, just, just be mindful of that. I know I had to be. Made a big difference. But anyway, the whole thing is about fear. This whole video, this, the point I'm making is when we are having to deal with PTSD symptoms every day, the last thing we need to be doing is walking around in an additional state of fear. We're already dealing with anxiety, stress. I mean, that's what PTSD is, right? Okay. We're already dealing with it. Don't add on to it, guys. So in this video, I just, you know, my, my vision is to just motivate you and inspire you to take these five steps and just really, you know, review them and try. You don't have to try all five of them. Maybe just try one or two and see how it works for you. I would love your comments, questions, and maybe even share some of your stories. Okay, but basically, when we're walking around in a state of fear, it can definitely have adverse effects on our health. Because if we're walking around saying, oh, there's something wrong, yet we don't really have the evidence of what that is, that's added stress. That spikes up anxiety. Therefore, our health will be greatly affected and not in a very good way. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed this video. Please subscribe and 
Until next time, be good to yourself and stay tuned for more videos. Mwah.